Dear Docolo, thank you for listening to The Documenteers, the best documentary theme podcast in the universe. Sincerely, the host, Bob Sham. Yes, me, Bob Sham. Each week, I talk about documentaries, allude to gallbladder surgeries, and with a friendly fellow enthusiast, we discuss and review documentaries. This week, Drew and I keep that 30 for 30 train running with a little bit more sports history coal as we discuss what might be the most significant sporting event in South African history. Apartheid, Nelson Mandela, there was a movie that came out that had Matt Damon and Morgan Freeman in it. We're talking about Clifford Bessel's unifying tell of world championship rugby, the 16th man. Who was that 16th man? Well, you gotta listen to find out. Next week on The Documenteers, Eldridge returns, and I said last time that I wanted he and I to watch a cringy, bad, just straight-up stupid documentary to bounce the scales of all the quality ones we seem to discuss when he's on the show. I gave him three choices, two of which were options designed to piss me off, but he didn't take the bait. Instead, he picked the cringy one. It will be our first Louis the Rue documentary. If you know about Louis, then cringy can be a common reaction to what he does. He's like a quirkier, more talkative Nick Broomfield with somewhat less controversy. Louis did an interview series on the BBC where he talked to a British celebrity or generally important person per episode. They all stand alone, so we can call them documentaries of interviews. This one, Louis interviews a fellow by the name of Jimmy Savile. If you're outside of Great Britain and you don't quite know the name, well, he's dead. And if you internet search his name, you'll probably be glad he's dead. We're talking about Louis the Ruse when Louis met Jimmy. And Eldridge picked it. I almost consider this to be a preview of our Creeptober October month that will drop on all our souls in just 60 plus days. Thanks to that sick fuck Eldridge, we'll be talking about all of that next week here on The Documenteers. Now for music clip credits that never play long enough to require a cease and desist against a podcast that makes less than zero profit, but we make it a point to tell you who you will be listening to for seconds at a time. These clips in this episode, though, are altered. A joke placed throughout the episode where an odd-sounding South African person's name that just sounds silly and fun to our American pig ears reminds us of a line or a word in the song. We all have a great time. Here are some of the songs we spoof along the way. In remembered order, Sorry by Beyonce, I Want Your Sex by George Michael, because the night I picked the 10,000 Maniacs version over the Patti Smith original because I thought it was funnier. Also, The Wait by The Band, Linger by The Cranberries, and Closer by Nine Inch Nails. Also, the song Becky by Plies, which is the second time I've clipped that admittedly inappropriate song. But we also play a clip of the response to that Plies song with Becky G's That's That Becky. There's all that fun. And now to the documentary, documenteerspodcast.com, five stars and review on your favorite podcast app is a minute thing that you can do that is a big help to your favorite documentary themed podcast, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts, who runs so much podcast game. Speaking of Apple Podcasts, look up the show Uninformed Opinion to hear me guest and discuss comic books. Sorry I breathe so much. And also keep on talking. Here is a motion picture film. A thousand feet, 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. This here 
used to be the white area. Blacks were not allowed to sit here. We had to stand way over there behind the poles and we were shouting for the New Zealand team. Every time they had the ball, every time they beat up one of the white guys, we would shout for joy. You see, it, it, it was not just about the rugby, the, the score at the end of the day, it was how these people who humiliated me every day, my, me and my parents, the same thing that they visited on us on a daily basis, they got it on this rugby field. Tell me everything you know about rugby. The ball is sort of football shaped and sort of soccer shaped. Like if you mixed them, yeah. if a soccer ball fucked a football, and the result would probably be a rugby ball. You play it in real short shorts and no pads. Hardcore. Go completely at it. You sort of kick field goals and you score, sort of score touchdowns, but not really on either of them. And then every once in a while, everybody gets in a huge huddle and pushes each other. I feel like when I'm watching rugby, I find it interesting. There's plenty I can learn about it, though. I feel like when I'm watching it in play, I kind of get it, like how they're trying to score, the ways that they can score. But I don't understand, like, the points, uh, how they're distributed. I they don't either, to, buddy. <laughs> I keep I see them do, like, I feel like I'm watching them do the same thing, but it's not the same allotment of points. I get that's what confuses me about rugby. And I've never taken that extra step to kind of know what the fuck's going on. But I have sat and watched some rugby matches. Most of it's just me trying to like figure out what it means. <laughs> the philosophical sport, rugby. It reminds me of, uh, there was a minute there where I got into roller derby. And the first time you watch it, you're like, how the hell are points scored? Yeah. I have no idea how they're keeping score of what's going on in this game. But once you get it, you get it. And it all makes sense. We're talking I'm not about, there yet with rugby. We're talking about a film... I know that there's a story of rugby uniting all of South Africa. I know they've made movies about it. I know Nelson Mandela is involved. I have a very surface understanding of South African history, post-colonial. But I never really sat with this story. There's a fucking movie, right? And the reason... Morgan Freeman... With Matt Damon. Yeah. I assume... I'm just guessing. I've never seen the movie. I, I'm assuming he plays the kicker. <laughs> that's my guess that he plays the kicker do you mean the fly half yeah I'm, hold on I'm gonna look it up right now Matt Damon Evictus do you like apples yeah the fly half there's not really they're not called the kicker I don't know if you can hear my cat losing it cats love me what can I say get in here Matt Damon plays Francois Pinard. I didn't guess oh, that at all. Captain. Oh, he's the captain. Obviously. I was just looking at the guy who was doing all the kicking. I was like, that's probably who Matt Damon is. Because that guy clinched it. I thought Matt Damon was going to play Chester Williams. <laughs> this seems like this is a big fucking story to squeeze into 50 million. <laughs> Let's go, buddy. Let's go. Come on, that was a good joke. Bro. It was. It almost passed me by. <laughs> so 
Sometimes I don't hear the shit y'all say until I'm editing. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, oh, God. But this this shit, The 16th Man by Clifford Bestel, is narrated by Morgan Freeman. In a country torn apart by racism, the game of rugby was a symbol of violent division. Why? Because he played Nelson Mandela in the movie Evictus. Is that why? That's got to be why they picked him. Man, I just thought this was the start of the whole trend of Morgan Freeman narrates everything. I mean, I, I, I didn't know Morgan Freeman narrated this 30 for 30 I, until we started watching it. That was great. I just realized this is the second documentary we've done where Nor- Morgan Freeman narrated it. Hell yeah, Morgan Freeman. First one is March of the Penguins, which I did with my six-year-old cousin, Lex. Get off of our planet, <laughs> seahorses. Which came first, March of the Penguins or this documentary? March of the Penguins. So he was already in full Morgan Freeman narrates things mode. But Evictus came out in 2009. Which was after this documentary. Hold on. 16th Man. This is compelling. Uh, 2009. Yeah, the same year Evictus came out. The 16th Man came out. So Morgan got a lot of work that year. And this is directed by Clifford Best All. So this is the best of all documentaries. <laughs> best of all Cliffords. Yeah. Anyway, at least. It sounds like we're we're kind of tentative to dive in. This is, a, this is a big story to squeeze into 50 minutes. I'm not tentative to dive into this. This is a great story. Let's go. Well, then dive into it. Let's what are you go, waiting man. for? We go straight into... Uppingdon, South Africa, taken around by a man with the fantastic name of Justice Becky Becky. Justice Becky Becky was raised on the dusty fringes of the Kalahari Desert in the shadow of the whites only town of Uppington. Yeah, I like this guy. There's some really good names in this documentary. Becky Becky spelled B E K E B E K E. And not Justice like Becky Becky. Not like Becky with the good hair. Becky Becky. With the good hair. He better call Becky Becky. With the good hair. <laughs> That's how it's pronounced though. And it's gonna get he's gonna take us through this stadium, this this rugby stadium. He's gonna say, look, this is where the whites got to sit while the black South Africans had to stand outside. And they all shouted, rooting against the South African team. Because yeah. that was the team of the oppressors during the apartheid era in South Africa. And they were cheering whenever somebody hit one of the white dudes. Yeah. That's what they were doing. They were standing in this stupid area. They were relegated to cheering whenever somebody on the other team hit the shit out of one of the white South Africans, because that was what they all wanted inside. They considered rugby to be a white man's game and the racist white control in South Africa had no problem putting forth that image. The white, ruling class of South Africa during apartheid tried to make that clear to everybody that rugby is a white man's game. It's one of the sports that we're still the best at, <laughs> mostly because we won't let you guys play. Yeah, until the Polynesian dudes show up. Then, you'll, <laughs> then you're like, well, maybe we're not so great. All these white people, though, they're really scared. They're real scared because Nelson Mandela is about to get out of prison. He's been in jail for 27 years. He Yeah, he comes out. And Mandela saw rugby as an opportunity. But shit is hot. There's been riots and shit, and Becky Becky off a cop. He did. He saw a cop shoot a kid and got so angry that he chased down the cop, unarmed, took his rifle, 
Brain beat ass. him to death with it. So what did they do to that? They arrested 14 black people and sentenced them all to death for the killing of that cop. Even though Becky Becky's like, it was me. I did it. He was living outside of Uppington because Uppington was a city for whites only. They could live on the outskirts of it. We get interviews with so many different people in this. It's so interesting to see the interviews with Becky Becky, who's on death row after killing that cop in a protest. We have interviews with white supremacists from the time who were so afraid of Nelson Mandela getting out and the possible end of apartheid in their own rule that they became domestic terrorists, bombing places in South Africa. And seeing them interviewed, like, look, we believed in separate but equal, but not too equal. Yeah. I mean, it was hardcore racism. Yeah. And frankly, we've heard of apartheid. <laughs> you're talking about a minority that go that's in a country that's, this sounds familiar, that goes into a country that they're not native to and subjugates the fuck out of it. America was a little ahead of South Africa in the sense that Americans knew how to root for sports teams with black players on them and still be racist in their everyday lives. <laughs> it took the rest of the world to kind of put the pressure on this. The protests against South Africa and their racist-ass apartheid system, when the South African rugby team, the Springboks, the Springbok is a small deer, yeah, apparently. Real tough. Yeah. They would go on their rugby tours to the Rugby World Cup, and wherever they went, that's where the protests would happen. Because they knew that the South African government cared about this rugby team, and they were watching. So in New Zealand, there were violent protests when the Springboks came there. Take your terrible government out of our country. We don't want to see you guys here in any representation, even sport. And they were actually banned from all the international rugby. They banned the Springboks because South Africa was so goddamn racist. Yeah, tons of international protests. International protests is what got Mandela taken off the death penalty and just put in life in prison. And that's how it eventually, that was a factor in getting Mandela freed, was banning their rugby. Yeah. Was taking away this thing that they were so proud of. And, and New saying, look, you can't get this back until you're a little bit less of a racist asshole. And in New Zealand in particular, because they're, they have such a big role in rugby, and who would beat them fairly on the reg anyway, would be like, fuck these racist cunts. Fuck them. Fuck them. Now we get introduced to Tokyo Sex Wally. Sex Wally. Sex Wally. What's Great your favorite name. <laughs> but when Mandela finally does get freed in 1990. Whiteys are scared, by the way. Like, they're, they're legit, like, the, the whole masses, they're just going to, like, destroy us all. Because hey. the black South Africans outnumber the white South Africans at least six to one. They should be right to think that because you can't subjugate people like that. If literally you take all of everything, including justice, and reserve it only for one race, you know, you think about the histories of... You know, even the histories of America and a part of me, maybe it's naive, but there is a part of me that at least believes in the ideals that we purport, but I'm not naive enough to think that we're executing them. But at the same time, when you really look into the history of what we've done to the Native American people, slavery, shit that's happening now, there's plenty of injustices happening now. It kind of makes you wonder if we really deserve the greatness that we think we're entitled to. But don't take our rugby, man. <laughs> so when Mandela was freed, his goal was not only 
to live a life after 27 years in prison on Robben Island. But he wanted to kind of calm this anger that the black South African community had. Yeah. He did not want this to turn into a race war because that wasn't going to benefit anybody. Everybody loses in a race war, which seems like, you know, kind of obvious. But again, you're not thinking about that when you've been oppressed for this long. You finally get something. The whites are scared. They're ready to go to war. They're interspersing these great clips in the documentary at this point where they have giant crowds of the black South Africans fired the fuck up. Yeah. Mandela's getting freed and they're ready to take the country back. And they're interspersed with these lame ass training videos from the white supremacist cells yeah. like wearing fake swastika bands Th- that, that symbol it looked like like a three-armed swastika with more of a v yeah what the fuck was that they're doing like little judo moves like all right kind of reminds you we're ready remind me of the al-qaeda training videos the monkey bars and stuff i think it was meant to it was there. It's there, y'all, Kata. Because they. <laughs> hey, I see what you did there. Yeah. They became domestic terrorists. This far right group in South Africa bombed the first school that was going to let blacks, black South Africans in. It got bombed right away before it even happened. And they went on a bombing campaign to try to stop this stuff. And the, the black leaders in the community now are saying, all right, let's ramp up the pressure. Let's knock all their shit out. We're going to take this now. And then Nelson Mandela shows up and's like, no, we should actually don't even change the name of that rugby team that they're so proud of. Yeah, they were like, fuck the Springboks. That's white. That's white bullshit. That's separatist bullshit. And Mandela's like, no, 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 no. It'll be way more powerful if we keep the name, but bring ourselves in towards it. If we can unify this, it'll be a microcosm for our entire country. They, (laughs) They speak to a guy named Koos Boothna. Another interesting name. He was a conservative leader at the time. He's interspersed throughout this doc. And he talks about how when he first meets Mandela, that Mandela just treated him like a regular leader. I feel like this is the equivalent of, wow, he speaks so well. He didn't rape every white woman in the room. Wow. He didn't immediately try to kill me, even though... I'm a real piece of shit. Four years after getting out of prison, Nelson Mandela becomes the president of South Africa. This is the deal. Their first democratically held elections. Black South Africans weren't allowed to vote, but now Mandela's freed. They have it. And one of the conditions, one of the incentives he had to get these democratic elections was if you do this, if you show real progress, democratically elected president, black South Africans are allowed to vote in the elections. The Rugby World Cup will come to South Africa. Not only will you be able to, your team be able to do international competitions again, you will host the next World Cup of Rugby. And the dude named Chester Williams, who originally wanted to just kind of rep his own community. Because of circumstances and the way we were treated at the time, there was no hope for me to become a Springbok. But I just had it in my mind that I would love to play for, for rugby at the highest level for my community. Just carry on and to try and achieve what you can achieve at the time. He is uh, announced as a Springbok player. 
the first Black Springboks player. He no. said he slept in his jersey. He was so excited. He could never dreamed of that. He thought he could play rugby for his own little community. But now he's playing for the national team. I have expected that one or two more black players would trickle in like he was just the first. He literally represents an insane amount of majority of a whole country. And you got like all these white players representing the controlling minority of a country. But even these players who played before, the Springboks had no international experience because they were banned from international competition. They were such big underdogs. But Nelson Mandela comes to their first practice. Puts on a cap. They're blown away. He knows their names. (laughs) The president of the country knows the players and is not showing any sort of grudge despite being imprisoned for 27 years. The transition of Black South African fandom was slow going for a while, but it started at this point and people took notice and these crowds started to kind of get bigger and bigger. And more feverish. Well, they play the first game of the tournament, the World Cup of Rugby. And as the hosts, they're facing the defending champions, the Australians. And they're not expecting much, but they come out there. And it is a monster crowd. Everybody is filling the stadium up and waving South African flags. And they have this motto of one team, one country. It all seems very trite for such gigantic social issues. But you can see how powerful that is the symbolism behind all this stuff. And when they beat the Australian team, the defending champions, that monstrous crowd rushes the field. There's one people like a big college football team that just beat their rivals. One uh, team, one country. And the 20 uh, black people there were like, oh, fuck, white riot. But then they realized they were happy. Oh, there were black people there, though, allowed to be in the seats. Wow. This was part of, of this change. And the day after the win... They take the Springboks to Nelson Mandela's cell on Robben Island for a visit. Robben Island, it was pointed out to Becky Becky. He was told once that... During my youth, my family came to Cape Town. I remember there were telescopes. And we put in money in the telescope. And uh, my father told me to look towards Robben Island. And I remember him telling me, that is where our real leaders are. He was there for 27 <laughs> years. That's an entire generation growing up looking out at Robin Island with pay telescopes. Like I, I pictured in my head those little tourist things that you scope in on. And they're like, look, out there, our true leaders. And that was where, of course, prisoners had to do forced manual labor, slavery. Which was the only time he was allowed out of his cell. You can, again, this team mostly white, almost all except for Chester Williams. But they're sitting there looking at this cell that he was in and reconciling that with the person who showed up at their practice, put their hat on, and called them by name. Wondering how you could be like that after you went through something like this. Lots of tears. It all sounds trite when you're looking at it in the past. That's all I can say. But when you hear things like, like these white South Africans saying, we can't change the past but we can move forward and be better in the future. South Africa is crushing it. Chester, their only first and only black player, is killing it. Crazy Chester followed me and he cut me in the fall. He said, I will fix your rat if you take Jack my dog. 
Chester. No, I'm a peaceful man. Said that's okay, boy. Won't you feed him when you can? And at a semifinal with France, Nelson Mandela shows up to supporters. These are black South Africans. They're not quite fully on the Springbok bandwagon yet. Oh, not at all. <laughs> and Mandela shows up like with the hat on and he's like, You see this cup? This cup does honor to our boys who are playing France tomorrow. At this rally, he really changes the perception. And there's cheers and there's booze. The black community is angry when he's wearing that Springboks hat. Becky Becky is like, fuck this. Mandela says, this is our team. This is South Africa's team. And it's going to be our country now that's represented in our team playing against these other countries. But it rains so much. The game was postponed and they thought that they were going to have to postpone it entirely. Well, this is some rugby bullshit right here. They explain to uh, the South African team that accumulate all the past disciplinary issues a postponing will just result in france winning this because of sportsmanship if a game is rained out france wins that's that's some weird rugby rule bullshit that i don't know anything about yeah yeah but that's crazy to think that the team that's got all this pressure on them could be eliminated without even playing a game that's ridiculous but just before the deadline it stops raining and they play in a goddamn pond it's soaked they're described drowning in this field this is a sport where like 10 people will literally be on top of you and your face is down into like an inch of water said skill didn't matter in this it was all about <laughs> who wanted it more because you couldn't play a normal game under these conditions they describe the ball like a block of soap <laughs> can you imagine trying to catch a block of soap uh, I've played some pretty rainy games, and it's it's totally different. I can't imagine these scrums in that. And they get down to it. This game is so tight, because neither team can really do much of anything. And France is pushing for the win right at the end. One last scrum. If they cross the line, France wins. And South Africa holds on. 19 to 15, they win. That I have means... no idea how scoring works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's uh, that leads to a final with the New Zealand All Blacks, the most successful rugby team in the history of rugby. As a matter of note, if you're not a rugby fan, the All Blacks is the name of the team. They're not All Black. <laughs> right, because they wear All Black. <laughs> yes. and but, but they do know that integration helps win sports. And New Zealand, as a small country, is also super proud of their rugby team because they're awesome. Yeah, I mean, this is world caliber rugby. They've got like Lord of the Rings sets and they've got the <laughs> they've got the all blacks. And they also have a Polynesian giant who's been dominating this entire tournament up to the finals run. While South Africans been on this completely unexpected finals run, it's got the whole country watching. Now all of South Africa is tuned in for this finals game. Even Becky Becky's watching, although he's still pissed off that his fellow black South Africans are rooting for the Springboks. Mandela heads towards the stadium. Something starts to change. That Mandela's bodyguard is named Linga Moon Sammy. Linga. Linga Moon Sammy. Well, that's a great detail. But that white people are looking at Mandela and they're happy about it. 
He walks in wearing the Springboks jersey. And no pants. They leave that out of the history books. <laughs> and there's a chant going through the stadium. Nelson. 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 I hurt my own people. I couldn't actually believe it. The Afrikaner people. Chanting Nelson, Nelson, Nelson. To Can't be fair, this. this is 1995. They were huge Simpsons fans. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But even the Afrikaners, who had been the, the perpetuators of this apartheid rule for so long, are chanting Nelson Mandela's name. It's pretty amazing. And I love the visuals here of the whole country, even the black South African communities, everybody gathering around a TV to watch this finals, bringing the whole country together. It's like the Olympics. Once every four years, everybody gathers around the TV to pretend we give a shit about soccer and we <laughs> love the USA team. It's great to see that. And it's made so much more powerful because of this horrible divisiveness that the country had been under for so long to see everybody gathered around rooting for the national team. Now in rugby, there's 15 players in a line. They've each got a, like a nice special title that we won't get into. Not at all. But you can't just pick your number here. You're one through 15. But this Mandela guy, Drew, this Mandela guy, the way he was using this sport to politically bring people together in South Africa in a peaceful way, you might just say, I'm going out on a limb here. Call me crazy. You could call him the 16th man. But they make a big pageantry before the finals game. They play the new South African national anthem, which Mandela dictated to include parts of the old anthem, but also to include the protest songs of the black South Africans to combine them into one song. This guy's got an unbelievable mind. These things he's come up with to unify the country, and they're fucking working. And uh, the All Blacks do their Hakka war dance. We all love it. But the South African team stood right in their faces while they did it the whole time and did not move. Yeah. And that intimidated the New Zealanders. The crowd is so goddamn proud of their Springboks. This crowd has both white and black South Africaners in it. They all have flags. And they're proud for their Springboks and their new national anthem. Come on, that's cool. That is really cool. And this game is so tight. It's incredibly close. Strinsky, he's not really called the kicker, but he's, he's the a fly half. Fly half. He's good at the kicking, and he's having a really good game. But it's back and forth, back and forth. And Becky Becky comes on, and he's talking like everyone's excited, and he's not. And he's like, fuck this. Are you fucking kidding? The spring box? Fuck this. Until fi finally. He's watching it in his area with yeah. all black South Africaners. And they're all going nuts cheering for the Springboks, and he cannot believe He doesn't it. get it. And I kind of feel it. I'm kind of, I understand his mentality. I can kind of hang on to that shit, too. They never really said how Becky Becky got out of prison. I assume that kind of when they released Mandela, they released other political prisoners, although he wasn't so much a political prisoner. Yeah, we'll have to actually do research for <laughs> things like that. But he's out, and he's mad. He's still mad. He said when he got out, he wanted to just go on a killing spree. He was so upset about the state of his country. There's one last big push. They all get in a big hug circle thing, maybe an orgy. 
I don't know that much about rugby. And but it ends in a tie. And it ends in a tie. <laughs> the first time in the history of the Rugby World Cup, it goes to extra time. Yeah. Tied at nine. And the South African team is like, oh, we didn't even practice for extra time. What the hell happens now? That's how I felt, too. What the, what the hell is extra time? In well, rugby? that red half, what do you call that dude, Strinsky? The fly half. The fly half. He's like, this is our last push. Give me the ball, bro. He's feeling hot. Give me the ball. And in a very impressive kick, one of the longer ones we've seen, and he fucking nails it for just enough points. However many points that is, I don't know. Three. And they fucking win. 65,000 South Africaners in the stadium. Oh, ape shit. They're so happy. They beat the New Zealand All Blacks. The pinnacle of rugby sports. It does. It literally does not get better than the New Zealand All Blacks. A reporter asks, how do you feel that 65,000 people are all cheering for you right now? And they say no. We didn't have 60,000 South Africans. We had 43 million South Africans. 43 million people were South. cheering for us that, right now. That's right. everybody was watching the game except... For Becky Becky, who runs outside. No, no, no. I ran out of the house. And there I was alone. And I realized, you know what? All my hatred is going to gain me absolutely nothing. It's going to make me a very bitter person. When there's so much to live for. As much as I hate this Springbok bullshit... In the history of it, I can't deny what this is doing right now. He's all alone in his anger and his hatred. Like that Oasis song. Don't look back in anger. I heard you sigh. Yeah, I think it was just like that. And he's like, I guess I'll dive into this onion dip. Man, he's a cool dude. Yeah. I he, like Becky. He was a great injury. All of the clips with him were so humanizing for the I story. I liked Becky Becky a lot. Desmond Tutu's in there, the Archbishop, saying that angels guided that final kick by Stransky. <laughs> now, Drew, from this point on, racism ceased to exist in South Africa. Nope, it's all done. They celebrate as one country. They have a giant parade that looked tamer than some assholes in Boston throwing beer cans. Yep. Everybody's just so happy. And Nelson Mandela, everybody comes over and shakes his hand and he raises the trophy. Trophy of the end of racism. But these parade scenes are wild too. The team's parading through and you just see people everywhere. Everywhere that people can be to watch the team have their championship parade. They're hanging out there. And again, it's whites, it's blacks, cheering, going crazy. And we end on a Nelson Mandela quote. Not Morgan Freeman as Nelson Mandela. This one was actually Nelson Mandela. Oh, okay. Sports. Sport has the power to change the world. <laughs> and goddamn if you didn't feel it in that moment. As far as the emotions felt and the way this was all put together, I thought it was well done. I can't, am I rating this right now? I guess you are. Go, keep going. Drew, we don't rate documentaries. And a star. Now you're already rating it. Just roll into Rating it, scale. I gotta <laughs> do the thing. I'm gonna give this one through five herd songs. You're gonna give this one through five herd songs. And we will combine them like Strinsky in a beauty of a punt to the victory of best out of ten herd songs. I really like this. I thought the editing was very sharp. I kind of roll my eyes when Morgan Freeman was narrating it. Who doesn't like Morgan Freeman? Come on. We don't have to have him all the time, do we? This was before he was on everything. He was well into everything <laughs> at this time. But it was fine. He's got a nice voice. That's why he fucking narrates everything. 
But this was really well edited. When you think of 30 for 30s and kind of the standard that you'd want a good 30-30 to be, it seems like this one, The 16th Man by Clifford Bestall, is a pretty good gauge, a pretty good standard of what you're probably trying to hit for when you're trying to put together uh, a documentary series about uh, regarding the history of sports. It kind of told the story straight up, but it probably wasn't like blowing minds or anything. And I know this is a story that's been told a lot. It's pretty new to me, and I really did enjoy it, even though it's culturally significant enough that I knew the outline of all of this. I guess what I'm saying is I'm going to go slightly above average on it, give it a 3.5. Personally, I was excited because I didn't remember that Morgan Freeman narrated this. <laughs> so when that voice kicked in, I was like, holy shit, it's Morgan Freeman. Just added a little bit. Shawshank Redemption! <laughs> He's good at his job, man. Bruce Almighty! He was in that, right? Yeah, that's when we got tired of him. <laughs> One of the things that I love to say to all those people who are like, oh, what's a sports ball? Why do you oh, yeah. why do you like watching grown men play fetch? <laughs> it's ridiculous. One of the things that I'll say to that all the time, big time sports fan, one of the reasons that I love sports so much and still to this day love talking about them every single week, enough to do a show about it and just talk sports with everybody who wants to that I meet, is that to me, sports are one of just about a couple things in this world that I can think of that are a great equalizer, that puts you on equal footing. When you're in a crowd with your fellow sports fans, it doesn't matter. You're not even thinking about if the person next to you is rich or poor, if they're black or white, if they're a Republican or a Democrat. That never even crosses your mind. When that kick goes through the uprights like it did at the end of the finals game there, every single person there is jumping up and down and screaming and high-fiving and hugging their neighbor. It's an amazingly equalizing thing that just does not happen in this world. The only other thing that comes close, I feel like, is music. It's the same way if you're in a giant in a music concert in the pit there, just going crazy to hear this song. It doesn't matter who you are. It's equal for absolutely everybody. Yeah, that Papa Roach show brings us together. Cut my life into pieces! It probably does. Shine There's down. an investment banker somewhere. Nothing will unite the world more than like a shine down concert. Yeah. And I'm staring down the barrel of a 45 I step on my point, Bob. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but this is the most extreme example of that. If you can bring together blacks and whites in South Africa... The year after Nelson Mandela, well, maybe a couple of years after Nelson Mandela's released from prison. That's an amazing testament to what sports can do to bring us together and just be people without all these fake dividers that we put up around ourselves. You can just be a person who's excited about something cool without any judgment, without having to act a certain way. And again, this is the most extreme example of that. The way it's edited is so good. It, it doesn't waste any time, this documentary. It gets you through the points. It has the scene on Robben Island cut into it. It has the scenes with Justice Becky Becky that show kind of the, the extent of the damage that was done to the psyche of these people before they could have this moment of catharsis with their rugby team. And yeah, I don't really care about rugby either. I don't watch the Rugby World Cup. I couldn't tell you what year it is. And I talk about sports all the time. <laughs> yeah. But Man, there's so feel, much sports out there, you can't cover them all. You can feel the power of this moment through the documentary. And watching 
just the transition in the attitude of these people. Even guys like, what's his name, Roos? The guy who was a, a self-proclaimed far-right on the white side of South Africa, Afrikaner. Yeah. And even he's like, holy shit, this Nelson Mandela guy's onto something. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's really amazing seeing the power of not only the, the person of Nelson Mandela, but the way he uses these symbols, like the Springbok, like the rugby match, like the national anthem, to heal over some of the greatest wounds we can think of. And they did a good job with that in this documentary. So they, they didn't waste much motion, and they got the point across, and now you probably don't have to watch that movie with Matt Damon. Yeah, so. I wasn't planning on it. <laughs> I thought they did a really good job with this. I'm going to give it four out of five Herzogs. Ooh, good. That's a good one for you. You're such a hard scorer. But you put together your four with my 3.5, and that gives it a 7.5 out of 10 Herzogs. You know what? You've talked me into it. I'm going to bump my score up. I'm also going to bump it up to four. I'm bumping it up to four. You're so brave. This I am brave. How brave and amazing we are. Eight out of ten Herzogs. You're right. I think this is a this was a great way to tell a story that's been told a lot. And like I said before, it's a great standard for what you want out of a 30 for 30 documentary. The interviews they got were unbelievable. Yes. People on all sides of this, people on the team, and the emotions were still raw this many years later. It's it's very well executed in that TV doc format. All right, before we close out, though, you got to pick one. Who's your favorite name in this documentary? Was it Justice Becky Becky? Was it Tokyo Sex Wally? Was it Linga Moon Sammy? I feel like Justice Becky Becky is my favorite because that Beck. I feel like that's going to stay in my head forever. Becky Becky. I feel like I'm going to incorporate it into some slang that really has nothing to do with the person. <laughs> Give me some of that Becky Becky. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's that's what you say when you uh, when you brain a cop. I hope he said that when Oof. he brained that fucking <laughs> child-killing cop. Sprinted after him unarmed. <laughs> hey, man, Becky Becky's a badass. Oof. That's why he can roll. That's why he can hang anytime. Yeah, but he wasn't the bodyguard. That was Moon Sammy. Moon Sammy. Is that your favorite? I mean, Tokyo Sex Wally. That's going to be third place. This was a hell of a documentary. What about Floos Coos Floos Goose? Help me get away from myself. Floos Coos Floos Goose. Yeah, I didn't pick that one up, but uh, that's got to be at the top tier yeah, as well. Yeah, it's in there. Yeah. All right. All right, South Africa. You're weird and we don't understand your language, but we're glad you got rid of that apartheid bullshit. <laughs> Yeah, keep working on that. And congratulations on defeating racism since 1995. <laughs> uh, that said, that was uh, 8 out of 10 for the 16th Man by Clifford Bestel. Drew, we got some exciting 30 30s around the corner. I'm excited to get to them. I feel like we're starting to ramp up here. Oh, yeah, we're having a great time doing this, getting through the documentaries. We just got lucky number 13 down. And yeah, some of my favorite ones in my memory are coming up. I can't wait to see how they hold up. Hell yeah. And uh, baby, sugar baby, be my hooker. That's a rugby term. And keep on docking. I need that Becky, Becky. Moan this liquor, oh so heavy, four weeks. Becky Becky. Becky Becky.
I want your throat front that Becky Becky. Oh, you go wet your mind for me though. Must get Becky Becky. Oh, I both. Can you haka? Uh, I could try. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you try? Right now? Yeah, right now. Okay. Let's see it. Hold on. This is going to make for really entertaining podcast watching. That's great. Probably rewound that scene a whole bunch of times to be that accurate with your haka. I bet you're intimidated as fuck right now. Hey, gossip never missing. If I fall, I'll catch me. Independent, so respect me. Girl, who that? That's that. Becky Becky. This implies dissing. I'm like, no, he didn't. What? Becky Becky. This. Becky Becky. That. I'm like, no, he tripped. Uh. Well, well, her white isn't boo. I'm so exquisite. I heard your brother really saying your soul was renting. Uh, I, I won't overkill him, I won't blow up in it. Woo! With this flow I'm killing, I can go for minutes. Every time I hear your song, I get so offended. Wow. Your mouth will go up in it like I know the dentist. Hey, gossip never messy. If I fall, I'll catch me. Independent, so respect me. Girl, who that? That's that. Becky, Becky. Cats love me, what can I say?